This is Hotshot Archery's Outdoor Podcast. The show starts in three, two, one, go. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Hotshot Archery's Outdoor Podcast. I'm Logan Chartrand. On the other end of the line, I've got Robin Parks. Robin, how's it going today? Hello, hello. Everything's going good here. It's almost November, so how can it not be? Uh, we are really ramping up to it. Uh, when we were talking before we started recording, messaging back and forth earlier today, talking about how and stuff is really starting to pop off. Uh, actually, I got a picture today. I was thinking, man these deer kind of disappeared on me. A lot of the deer that I had been getting pictures of in our licks. Um, and then just today I got a wide, heavy 10 pointer that I haven't seen in probably three or four weeks cruising through a bedding area. So it, it's getting ready to to start real soon. This is, this is kind of my time of the year. I know, uh, turkey hunting is awesome, but for me, like this is when it comes to hunting, this is my time of the year. Yeah. I, as much as I love turkey hunting and uh, about 10 months out of the year, I would say that's my favorite hunting until this time of the year starts. And then it really is a reminder of what I really like to do the most. And that is to be deer hunting between Halloween and about uh, mid December. It just can't hardly be beat. Yeah. It's a, it's an awesome time of the year. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Got my rutcation starting. I get to head out and leave November 1st. I got to stick around the house and do the uh, whole Halloween trick-or-treating thing with the boy. And then I'll be heading out for a week and hoping to put one on the ground. And that kind of ties into um, really timely information. I think this episode is all about after the shot. Um, you know, where'd you hit a deer? How long should you wait? What are you looking for? Answering some of those questions that uh, we've been getting. And then also would love to maybe dispel a myth. I, I would love to hear before we wrap up this week's episode, maybe some of the worst advice that you have heard and how to avoid that. So that whether it is myself or we've got other people heading out, getting ready to hit it hard, things are popping off in their neck of the woods. Maybe give them a little help on what happens after the shot and kind of work through our processes and kind of what's going through our minds when that all happens. Yeah. As you know, uh, we didn't really plan on doing this tonight. I, I, I just kind of threw it out as a suggestion before we started our call. And the reason is um, just like the social feeds are starting to fill up with deer pictures now. A lot of the hunting pages are also, unfortunately, filling up with people that are desperate for advice on what to do after the hit. And uh, I just kind of was reading a post today, and it just struck me like I just don't know why people continue to think this. And so that's why I threw it out. And uh, blood trailing, archery hits, and how to evaluate what to do. I don't mind saying that I feel like a know-it-all because I have been, I've just seen it all. Like, I don't know anything that I haven't seen. You know, I've been involved in blood trails, whether it's mine or my buddies for, you know, 
35 ish years now. And I've made every mistake I think that could possibly be made. And as you probably well know, also back when I first started this, you know, other than some magazine articles, there wasn't much help. I mean, we, it was trial and error error for us to figure it out. And, um, I, unfortunately, uh, I learned a lot based on my own mistakes, my own bad hits early on and, and throughout my, my hunting quote unquote career. And, um, this isn't just about bad hits. I mean, I want us to talk about hits that are marginal that don't have to be so worrisome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great. We always talk about trying to grow the sport to get more people involved. And I'd even done an episode of the Nemophilist a few weeks back where a friend and a listener had reached out to me wanting to get his daughter involved. And I was just trying to think of all the challenges that somebody might face if they were just getting into this sport. I think for a long time, my gut reaction is, are you kidding me? How do you not know this? And then I started to think about it from the perspective of people who are trying to get into it. It's like, damn, there's a, a whole lot of information like you. I mean, I've I've learned more from my screw ups probably than from my successes. And I feel like I've screwed it up almost every way you can screw it up, like you were mentioning earlier. Um, I think it's good information for people to know because there are a lot of people getting into this who they might only have that Facebook group or, you know, maybe not even that. Hopefully they have this podcast to be like, okay, here's what I saw at the shot. Here's what some people who have been in this kind of situation have done in the past and either didn't. Um, I can only think of off the top of my head. I feel like two deer in my life that I didn't recover. And I still vividly recall each of those hunts. Uh, but I like you. Know, I feel like maybe not necessarily a know-it-all, but I feel like I've done a really good job of being able to recover my game once I have put a hit on it, once I have drawn that blood. So I think this is a perfect time to help dispel some of those myths, help the people who are really looking for help, maybe offer some correction without telling somebody they're wrong to some of the things that we see. It's like, what you did, what, why would you do that? Like my experience tells me something totally different from what you, what advice you are giving. Have you ever shot a deer? Do you, have you been through that? I would never have done that. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't planned this out and it's very possible that we bring up a hypothetical scenario and, and me and you may not even agree um, that won't necessarily mean that either one of us is more right or more wrong than the other. Um, and of course, what I say, I've a know it all. It's a tongue in cheek and, um, there's always something to learn, but I can tell you with certainty that just about any scenario that we're, that we're going to throw at each other, or you might just throw some random scenarios at me. I, it, I can tell you that it's likely that I could rattle off, you know, five, six or 10 examples of, uh, of dealing with that exact scenario, not just one or maybe two. Um, I, I wish that I'd kept track of how many blood trails of my own and others that I've been on over the years. Uh, it's, it's an extremely high number, especially when you consider it's not just deer and some ridiculously high number of hog blood trails also. 
absolutely. I mean, there's differences, but there's also a lot of similarities. And I think just to kick it yeah, off, I, I would right. love to start with the perfect shot. But even before that, I think the point that if somebody were to tune out right now or just after this and not listen to this entire episode, and I've probably said this on other episodes that we've done before, but track everything, even if you have seen it drop. The the number one piece of advice that I could give is go to where the animal was when you shot it, look at the ground there, study it, understand it, follow the blood, follow the trail, follow the tracks, whatever it is to that animal and study everything. That's how I've learned so much about what we're going to dive into, whatever we end up diving into. It all started from tracking deer that I knew where they drop. I watched them drop and I still went down and I started from the very beginning and learned that way what I'm looking for when I'm tracking. Uh, but if we could, I think let's start with perfect in your, not even opinion, because I think we could all agree on this, but from your viewpoint, I would love to hear you describe the perfect aiming point, like Almost the perfect shot, the perfect scenario for somebody. If you could say, wait until exactly this situation, I think we should start there and then work our way through marginal to really bad. I don't know what the hell just happened on that shot, but now I got to go try to find this animal. Yeah. Let, let me first say that uh, that point that you made about trailing every animal, even when you see them drop, to learn what is there to learn is a great point. One that I always do unless there's some reason that, uh, you know, time is just too short and I can't take the time to go ahead and follow a blood trail. Maybe, um, you know, rain's coming in or maybe I got to be at work or whatever those reasons are. But, um, and the reason I wanted to reinforce what you said is I also want to reinforce to everybody that it is very often the case that you did not hit the deer where you think you hit it. It is, it is hard for me to put into words how many times that I have disagreed with my camera person or my hunter that I'm videoing about where an arrow hit the deer that we both just watched. And I can also tell you the video camera never lies. The video camera always settles a bet and a disagreement. And it is very, very common for the hunter to swear up and down that they saw an arrow hit a certain spot. And it, that is, and it ends up not being reality. So that is also plays into following a blood trail to try to learn what can be learned throughout that whole experience. You know, you might think you made uh, a, t a hit that was too high. You followed the blood trail, even though you saw the animal go down and you may come to find out that, Oh, it was right where it should be. It wasn't as high as you thought. That's why the blood trail was so good as an example. So anyways, without uh, dragging that out too long, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's really where I wanted to start with is to always remember that your eyes and your mind might play tricks on you and sometimes they just lie to you. 
Oh, yeah. And I think anybody who spends time at a range or on a 3D course, I couldn't tell you how many times I feel like I shoot at a pretty competitive level, um, especially indoors, maybe not so much 3D. But even then, it's like I've got to shoot and then I shoot known distance. And then I still bring my binoculars up. I'm like, whoa, my arrow is where? Like, okay, I, I didn't think I hit there. Or I shoot, I'm like, man, I don't know where that hit on the, I better look to see where it did. Even with firearms, I mean, this past weekend, Jack and I went out to get firearms sighted in for deer season. And I was shooting my 308 and, and I shot and I had my scope up on 12. And I mean, I shot and then I had to bring the scope back on target to be like, okay, oh, that's, you know, about a half inch right and a half inch low. I, I could have swore I was holding right on dead center, but that's not always where it ends up landing, even on a stationary target. Um, so I think that's a great thing to keep in mind while you're tracking and studying. And then also study the deer when you get there. Don't just assume, you know, really look and see what that is. So again, I think if we could start, what would you say is a perfect shot situation for somebody where like in your mind, no brainer, probably don't need to track you. You feel like this, you're going to be able to watch this deer fall. Yeah. For me, that is going to be a deer that is perfectly broadside and the arrow went in just behind the shoulder about mid body, maybe slightly below that. When that arrow is in that, that vicinity, that deer is going to be dead in seconds, uh, usually in sight, uh, you know, in the 20 to maybe 50 yard range, not that they can't go further, but that's pretty common. Um, at least in my experience for that hit, just, just be dead. Uh, I think I timed the last one and came up with four seconds on the video. So that's just an example. And, uh, that's the kind of hit that, you know, the old magazine articles used to say, no matter where you hit, give them the half an hour. But uh, let's be realistic. When you know you hit them there, all the signs point to that. There's really no reason to be waiting and delaying. If the arrow and or the blood trail confirms what you think, I mean, you might as well just go get your deer unless you're going to stay and wait for another deer to come by or, or something along those lines. Yeah, I would agree. I love the broadside, maybe slightly quartering away, but I'm the same boat. Like I, when I'm teaching Jack shot placement, it was go right behind the leg. So draw a vertical line up the back of the leg. <clears throat> I'm getting choked up just talking about it, I guess. And then a third of the way up the body, about a third to half is where I'm putting it. I, and I know a lot of people want to brag about their heart shots. To me, that is a low percentage shot. I'm not aiming for the heart. Those lungs are big as hell. It's a way better target. It is a way higher percentage odd shot. If I'm a little low, I'm not shooting underneath the deer. I'm still in the lungs. That's why the third of the way to a halfway up the body. I can be a little high. I'm still in the lungs. Um, I can be a little low. I'm still in the lungs or I caught the top of the heart, but I'm going right behind that leg. I don't like to hold right at that joint. I don't want to try to hit that knuckle. 
Um, I have shot so many deer, especially with a rifle right in the shoulder and wasted so much meat that I don't try to get up in the pocket where those bones kind of make that forward facing V um, on the deer either. I'm going up the back leg, uh, look at where that shoulder meets the body, and then I'm going about a third of the way to a halfway up the body. And when you mentioned, you know, if that's where the blood, you know, we already talked about, sometimes you don't know where it hits. If you're seeing blood pump out in the lower third of the body, you know, you know, that was a good shot. You know, watch the deer, watch it fall. Um, I don't, I'm not a half hour type of person. If it drops one, I have so much crap up in the tree anyway, that just for me to get everything packed up, I'm probably a good 15 minutes. Um, I'm probably five minutes of texting whomever I'm going to text about it or figuring things out or just watching, letting things calm down. Um, so by the time I get down, I mean, I'm probably 10 minutes or so, but that is one of those shots where, you know, when I know, when all the signs point to that, when I'm, uh, I can see the entrance wound, I shoot lighted knocks. If I can see where the knock is in the deer, or I see blood pumping out the exit, depending on if it turns or whatever it does, if I see it drop, I'm not waiting very long. Now, if I don't, if I hear it drop, same situation, because it, I, I will be extremely quiet. I'm not doing the whole video camera thing. Let me pump my fist and yell that I smoked them or do whatever it is. I mean, I, I'm so focused on I'm watching and listening for everything. If that deer is out of sight, I'm listening to hear if I if it crashes in the brush or the weeds or the field or I'm listening for some sign of this deer tipping over and thrashing around for a few seconds. If I get that, I'm packing up my stuff, I'm heading down and I'm going to the site of the shot. I'm not just going to go run after the deer. Again, we we talked about track everything. I'm going to go to where it was when it was standing. I'm going to look at the sign there and then I might make a decision. I'm going to give this animal a little bit more time, even though I think I heard it fall uh, or, Hey, this thing's dead. Let's go get it. Let's get this job done. Get some pictures taken, get it field dressed and get the heck out of here. Right. Right. And let's, I want to put a little disclaimer on on the way that we're talking about these hits and where we're aiming. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about deer jumping the string, how they duck at the shot, what causes that, how to aim low to compensate for that. Um, those are all good points, but really points of discussion better left for a different um, day and time. We're really just talking about, uh, the results of a hit. And so, and I would even um, say perfect shot, a calm deer broadside. Yeah. Not super yeah. twitchy, so not on edge. Right. So for discussion's sake, we're going to leave some of that stuff out of the equation and just talk about, like I said, results. And, um, you kind of touched on it. The reason that I didn't say a heart shot was my desired or considered to be perfect shot was uh, the aiming points different. It's a smaller target, less margin for error. Uh, it sh yes, of course, it's absolutely deadly if you end up with a heart shot. But I'll contend that on average, every deer that I've heart shot has went further than my lung shot deer, double lung shot deer. So if I was given a choice, 
I would take the double lung over the heart shot. And, and I pick my aiming point similar to what you discussed where, um, that heart shot is part of my margin of error for, for when I'm aiming for a double lung shot. So I don't want anyone to think that we're discounting the heart shot. Uh, they typically bleed a lot. The animal typically goes a little bit further though than lungs. And so, uh, that's why I don't choose to try for that. And I should also say when we're talking about this, the thought crossed my mind, we're hunting primarily from tree stands. I do very little at this point uh, deer hunting from the ground. So there's also the aspect of driving an arrow downwards, not just horizontally um, through that deer as well. Um, again, hard shots are great. I was we, Jack and I were, he's on fall break this week. We were watching some hunting shows. My wife wanted her Christmas shows, so we had to get some new streaming service, and it comes with a couple of the outdoor networks. Uh, so we were watching some hunting shows, and he's like, I don't know why everybody shoots for the heart. If you hit it in the heart, you don't get to eat it, and the heart's delicious, Dad. I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's another good reason. But um, also, too, when I'm going for double long, that usually puts the exit low enough that I'm still getting blood pumping out. It's not just filling the chest cavity. So it's still a good high percentage shot that on a pass through or when you can um, at least penetrate the offside, you're going to have a blood trail to follow, um, which is a benefit of the heart shot. A lot of times if you're up in a tree stand from an elevated position, that arrows coming out almost, you know, center point of that deer's chest. So it dumps a lot of that blood out on the ground, but you can still get that with that double long. Yeah, because, uh, this is a good point to throw out. One of the myths that is probably, uh, worth talking about. And that is, um, on a high lung hit, you shouldn't expect to get a blood trail until the cavity fills up with blood. And you just mentioned, you know, blood spilling out of the cavity. And, th and that is a factor in a blood trail. However, I'm going to say that it is my very strong opinion that a high double lung hit is kind of akin to popping a balloon. Those, that lung cavity uh, is under pressure and you've just put two holes in it. And now the pressure is getting released. And so, there is blood that is going to come out under pressure out of the two holes that you just put in that deer. And there's going to be a blood trail to follow before the, the blood, ca I mean, I'm sorry, the cavity actually fills with blood. So, uh, you often hear people say there won't be a blood trail on a high lung hit. And I just don't agree with that. And I also will say that a high lung hit is getting the parts of the lung that has the most blood capacity, meaning you just destroyed the biggest part of both lungs. And so that's going to equate to a much shorter blood trail than, say, uh, the bottom of both lungs. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what does the blood trail look like i mean perfect shot it's i feel like it's dumping blood the the shot that we first talked about being kind of our perfect it's dumping blood it, it can be bright it's bubbly it's 
everywhere. Like you don't have to look. It's that red carpet kind of treatment, but on a a high lung shot where you might get some blood at the point of impact, and then it might be a while before it really starts laying out more of that heavy blood trail. What is that? What are you looking for that you would indicate? Okay, high lung, but still lung. Yeah, it's going to be more of a spray versus looking like someone poured blood out. So it's going to be smaller bits of blood, not pools of blood, but it should not be hard to find at all. And it's probably going to be up along the sides of trees and brush, not just on the ground. So um, a lot of times on a high lung hit like that, you might think, you might have trouble finding the blood because it's off to either or both sides of, of where the deer was actually running through or walking through. And like I said, oftentimes the blood's not even on the ground. It's on trees and bushes and stuff and weeds, things like that. Now, color wise, um, it's going to be kind of pink. It's not going to be bright red. Um, time for another myth dispelling. Um, just because you have little air bubbles in blood does not mean it's a lung hit. Uh, a muscle hit will bleed bright red blood, and it will have small air bubbles in it, but that does not mean it's the lung. I just saw a picture today. A guy posted it said, oh, I guess I got one lung, and it was, to me, clearly just a muscle hit, a couple small air bubbles in the blood that he showed, and it was bright red. Like, nothing about that said lungs to me. Right. I think people somehow tend to forget that all blood is oxygenated. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The lungs are putting oxygen into the blood for the heart to pump it through the body. Uh, think like, uh, some, for me, I brew beer and it's really easy. When I do the sanitizer that I use in my equipment, it bubbles up real, real thick and foamy. Or, I mean, it doesn't look like soap suds a lot of times, but really bubbly if you shake up a soda you know something like that that's lung blood if it's got a little air bubble here or there i mean there's any number of things outside of just the oxygen in the blood that could have put a bubble in that i mean it flew through the air it landed on something there there's all sorts of things that could put little bubbles it it's hard to explain unless you see it but it's really easy for me to tell this is a long hit because it's it's not yeah it doesn't look like head on a beer it's not that dense but it's very frothy when you yeah, see a long right. hit right it's it's not like water it's like well like you said it it's it it is frothy it's like just like you said like you shook a soda for the froth on the top of your latte or uh, any kind of kind of texture like that. And so many times when you see a picture of someone post when they're having trouble and they're sure that it's a lung hit, you can just tell it's that bright red almost looks like the texture of water. It, I hate to say watery because that's not what I mean, not watered down in color, but that kind of uh, consistency that that's the word I think we're both looking for. There's a different consistency 
and that consistency is more like a foam than it is water. Yes. And if I were going to be really gross, like the visual that popped into my head is like when you go pee and there's foam on top of it, that, that's kind of what it's like. I mean, that's it's almost that consistency, that texture where there's lightness to it. I, so, again, if you are seeing a bubble or two and it's bright red, I'm thinking more to me that's indicating shoulder or some sort of muscle that could be you got up into the back strap or the loin um, of the deer kind of something in there you hit a ham you hit a shoulder not indicate like to me really honestly bright red blood if it doesn't have a whole lot of that frothy bubbliness to it is like oh damn that's where I'm starting to think we need to back out, calm down, think about this. Does this deer have a chance of going somewhere, of getting eaten by something, of making it off the property? And if the answer to that is no, when I see that thick, bright blood that might just have a few bubbles in it, that's when I start to give it that time. Right, right, exactly. So how far forward would you say like if somebody thinks oh I, I put it right in i hear the pocket all the time or i was right behind the shoulder um at what point going forward do you start to think not that it's a non-fatal because you can hit those areas you can hit shoulder you can hit meat and muscle and still be a fatal shot um but going forward on a deer at what point do you think, okay, I might need to give this thing more time than my standard double long behind the leg type hit? Actually, so for me, if if the hit is too far forward, I don't equate that really to more time is going to lend itself to more success meaning more time gives the animal die because the farther forward you get I, it's my opinion that you either got the lungs or the heart or you didn't and if you didn't you're just out of luck um because what else is there that's going to kill a deer now of course there's the main artery in the neck but if you hit that it's going to be evident because there's going to be, it's going to be a crime scene. Right. Um, that deer's not going real far. Right. But you know, if you're, if you're up in the brisket, let's say, uh, yeah, you're going to make that deer bleed quite a bit because you just cut the shit out of him. Right. But there really isn't anything there vital. And that's the kind of hit that if you miss the lungs, that deer is going to start showing up on your trail cameras right away. Again, he's going to be, sign short of maybe getting unlucky and getting an infection that he can't stave off. But I, I don't ever really think of a forward hit being one of those hits that just demands a bunch of extra time. Right. And again, I think it too. So there's some signs to me that too far forward, lack of penetration. Um, one of the two deer happened to me a couple years ago. 
hit it high, got in the front shoulder, heard that unmistakable sound of hitting bone. I mean, when you hit something hard, it's like when you're at, um, if you, hopefully you've been practicing at a range of some sort, if somebody hits something that's not the target, uh, wood frame around the target, and you hear that just hard thwack, um, that to me is indicating that I probably got a bad shot. The other thing, um, blood, as we're talking about blood, especially you get into that brisket, you will oftentimes get the same kind of blood that it looks like when you cut your finger. There might be a little bubble, but for the most part, it's just that thick red, what no, what we would normally think of as blood. Um, if I start to see that, that's where I'm really starting to to doubt my shot. Um, and more than even maybe giving the deer time to die, it's giving myself time to get my shit together. Uh, go back to the, the side of the shot, because oftentimes you're going to find that kind of blood a little further down the trail and really look, maybe if I've got video, I'm going back and I'm reviewing the video again. I don't always, review my video. If I'm confident in it, if I saw the arrow in the deer, if I'm seeing where the blood comes out, if I, you know, the way the deer is reacting indicates from past experiences that that is a mortally wounded deer, I'm probably not going to go rewind the video and sit in the stand and try to watch it. Um, even with my five and a half inch monitor now, I'm probably not going to sit there and try to watch it in the stand. I'm going to get down and find the blood and then be like, uh, Maybe I ought to go review this shot and see where it really was before I go trying to push this thing all over God's green earth. Right, right. I, and I think whatever clues you can gather, whether if it if you have video, then it's the video, of course. If you don't, though, uh, if you have your arrow, either it passed all the way through or you found it along the trail, uh, a lot of fat on the on the arrow is not a good sign. Um, you're not typically going to hit a deer somewhere that, that is a fatal shot. That's going to coat your arrow in blood. And I'm not saying that it can't ever happen that way. Um, quartering away hard, you could exit through the brisket as an example and end up with quite a bit of fat on your arrow. So that's not a tell all thing, but it's certainly not, not a great thing. If you're pretty sure the, the deer was broadside and you're pretty sure you hit it either too high or too far forward. So, uh, it really becomes this puzzle and there's just so many pieces and that, and that's part of it. And, um, you know, I kind of talked about not necessarily giving the deer time, but, but here's another aspect of it. You still need, you might be really sure that you hit too far forward, but you still owe the animal like, uh, to put forth all the effort possible to be 100% sure that it was just a superficial cut, not a vital hit and, uh, to follow through all the way to the end, whatever that conclusion is, either a dead animal or the conclusion that you're sure the animal's fine. Yeah. And I think that's so, so important. I am absolutely not saying that, Oh, that was a forward shot. I'm, whatever, I'll stay up here and wait for the next deer to come by. Um, I have tracked deer long, long, long ways to the point where it's like, at this point, 
I don't have, I can't go any further. Usually the two deer that I have lost is because I couldn't go any further. I didn't have permission. And sure, everybody says I would just go, you know, jump the fence, cross the creek, whatever. Uh, I've gotten down in the creek. I, I walked to the creek a hundred yards in either direction. Couldn't find any blood. I, did, I didn't have any reason to even call the neighbor and say, hey, can I come over here? Because there's no indication that it got up on there. But I, ha- I do have some neighbors. Um, one of the first deer Jack ever shot at got across onto the neighbors. We called them. They said, come track it. We jumped that thing three or four times. It was cruising like nothing had happened to it. And we got to a point where it's like, we could keep following this thing, but we're just going to track it all over the county. This deer is not mortally wounded. We've gone for well over a mile and this, we can't get a shot when it jumps back up. It's time to call it off. We, we've done what we can do. Uh, but yeah, ev- everybody should, regardless of where you think you hit it, give it every effort. That animal deserves your effort in trying to recover it if you decided to make the shot. Whether you didn't practice enough and made a bad shot or, I mean, I feel like I practice a lot. I have made some bad shots. They happen. If you do it enough, um, I don't care who you are. At some point in time, whether it's happened on video or not, Levi Morgan has made a bad shot. The shit just happens. Things beyond your control. Any number of things could happen. Give it everything you've got. So we talk about the forward shots. The more likely scenarios that we hear a lot about are going towards the back end of the animal. So let's kind of go that way with some shot placement and what is, you know, what are you seeing that indicates the type of shot that was made on a deer and what advice would you give to somebody tracking that type of shot? Yep. And I think these are going to be the scenarios that we can offer people the most help actually. Um, the stuff we've talked about so far, pretty much kind of, you know, the norm, the easy, the easy pickings of shot selection and, and results. But the, what we're going to start talking about now is the tough stuff. But I think, uh, everyone's going to find what we're going to talk about to be helpful. At least I hope so. So, um, right away, the very first indicator to me of a deer that's hit too far back is a deer that only runs a very short distance and then stops and stops to look back or look around and then slowly walks off. That is a dead giveaway that that deer was hit too far back. Now we'll talk about the different levels of far back and what that means, but just in general, I can promise you if a deer does that, it's too far back and you need to just let that that deer walk off and lay down. And we'll talk about the possibilities. But in general, now we're talking about time. Time involved for that deer to lay down and go through the process of dying without you disturbing it and jumping it and it running off. Yes, that is where um, I, you're spot on. I would absolutely agree. The deer that doesn't act like it's hit, um, a deer that might hunch up a little bit and walk like, um, 
walk like a baby might walk or a toddler might walk when they're constipated or got a, a diaper. I have all sorts of gross analogies apparently about this. No, and they're, and they're all pretty darn good too, actually. Yeah. But that to me indicates that I am a little back again. It's that hunched up. It's the, the not taking big strides. They're, they're kind of waddling with their back legs a little bit and then sign on the ground really dark blood if i see dark blood purple almost blackish color if it's really thick it might have tiny tiny bubbles in it uh to me that's saying you know liver i got back around the diaphragm um there might be other indications even that hopefully no intestines i've been pretty lucky in my life to not have gotten into the guts uh, but yeah, it's the slow walk off, um, deer. And it could be, we talked a little bit about kind of some of the myths, um, a deer that kind of jumps and kicks its back legs up. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh, that's a heart shot deer. Uh, they take off like a rocket, a deer that takes a, a few hopping steps and then starts to walk. That's what happened with Jack's deer during firearms last year. So we thought for sure this deer, it wasn't a great shot. It must've been back. And he act so the exception, I guess it proves the rule is he did that a little bit. And then he ran off when we found him the next morning and I field dressed him and then started skin him, skinning him out. It was a great shot. Um, the bullet might've gotten back into some of the liver a little bit, but he blew out all the lungs. Uh, if you see that indication, if that animal's walking, like it's sore, like it's stiff, like it just doesn't want to move. Uh, I don't know that I buy into the, it won't go uphill. If you shot it mortally, if you got, uh, in front of no, the diaphragm. Definitely wrong. That's definitely a myth. That is, I call bullshit. I've got way too many examples of otherwise. So I'm just calling bullshit right there. I think a deer is going to go where it feels safe, where I yep. hunt at a lot of times. If I'm in the bottoms, our bedding areas happen to be up on the ridge. So I might have a deer that runs or walks up the ridge. It's trying to get back to that sanctuary, that bedding area, an area where it feels safe to try to figure out what's going on with it, not just running towards the lowest point or only running towards water. I check around water. Jack and I did last year. It's like one of those things. We didn't have a lot of blood. Let's look in some of these likely er locations. Maybe this deer would want to drink. But yeah, I would say, you know, don't assume that because it walked uphill, it's not a, a mortal shot. I think it's more, if a deer is walking absolutely normal, it almost looks like a total miss, but you find some blood, that's probably a really good indication that you don't have a mortal shot and you've got a long tracking job ahead of you, or you got a long job of looking for tiny specks of blood every so often the kind of track job where you've got hats and gloves and all sorts of stuff, flagging ribbon, toilet paper, whatever you've got in your pack, hanging all over the woods at every little speck of blood that you find. Yeah. And one other visible indicator of a hit that's too far back while that deer is walking off in all the manners that you just described is uh, nearly every time their tail is going to be flicking back and forth really fast. 
Yes, um, and down. I would say down yeah, as well. You're not gonna. It's yeah. not up like it's flagging, like it's a warning no, thing, or like you see right. a deer that's jumped off, spooked. It's gonna be down, almost tucked between its legs, and yeah, and a side to side, like super fast flick. Yes. Uh, so let's let's focus a little bit on the liver hits. Um, like you already just talked about what the color of blood is, and I agree, it's gonna be really dark and rich looking. Um, a liver hit this is one of my uh learned hard learned experiences was this liver hit and it took me a while to get over my hard headedness and figure out what to do with liver hits um i have killed deer with a liver shot that has died right in front of my eyes within 15 minutes i've seen it but I have been involved in many trails in which a, we have found a deer between eight and 13 hours later, still alive, had to finish the deer off. And um, then as we always do, we carefully like examine what did we actually hit? And in each of these cases, there's five different mature bucks. Those were the hours, the range of time. Um, they were all confirmed. The initial hit was a direct liver hit. So, uh, for now, from now on, if I think I have liver hit a deer and I didn't see it actually expire, I'm not going to start trailing a liver hit deer any sooner than eight hours. I don't care how hot it is. I don't care what the weather is. I don't care if it's supposed to be raining. I don't care about worry over coyotes. Um, just because a deer can take that long to die from a liver hit. And if you jump a liver hit once, chances of finding that deer just went exponentially down where if you just give it the right amount of time before starting the trail, chances are it's not going to go very far and it's going to be fairly easy to find. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier about length of time, kind of my rule is the deer isn't going to go any further if it's dead. So unless I have a fear of coyotes, which is really my only issue, I don't enjoy doing very much public ground hunting. And I know there are a lot of people who that's what they have to do, um, or maybe that's what they choose to do. I'm not worried about another hunter coming across it. So really for me, it's coyotes and a dead deer is going to be in the same spot, whether I got it in 15 minutes or I get it eight hours. So if I even have a question about it, like you said, if there's any indication, unless I know that maybe that deer was slightly quartering too, or it stepped towards me a little bit and stepped and turned towards me as I shot and I got long and liver, I'm going to give it that time. And even if I think I got long and liver, oftentimes you're only going to get one lung and liver what you just said is important and I don't normally wait eight hours. It probably wouldn't hurt since I just said a dead deer isn't going to go any further than where it died. Anyway, giving any deer time, even that deer that I was talking about with Jack is his first deer that he hit. It bedded down a couple times. And if we would have just simply backed out and I knew, I knew from the indication. So here's another great indicator that might tell you where you've hit. Um, coarse white hairs, the coarse white hair is either on the tail, 
the throat patch. And if you hit it in the throat patch, the deer is going to be blown up and it's going to drop right there or within feet of where you hit it. Um, or it grows on the underbelly, um, the brisket along the, um, the clavicle or the breastbone into the belly. That's a low hit. That means you probably were not up into the vitals. And we had that, but we also had really good blood, uh, blood that wasn't super bubbly. Another thing that told me maybe we should wait, but here I've got um, me who's excited and seeing blood and thinking, man, this thing was really close. It probably couldn't have gone too far here. Um, Got an excited little boy and I had an excited grandpa with me. We started tracking it. We jumped that deer out of its bed two different times, maybe three different times. And you're right. We never found it. It's like, if we would have just let it lay there, let it bleed out in that bed where it was comfortable, that deer was going to be dead in two hours, three hours. But instead we kept pushing it. We kept its adrenaline flowing. And I do not subscribe to the chase it and let it bleed out. I don't know too many situations where I would think maybe, a big shoulder hit or something where it's bleeding a lot, but it's not a lung hit to, to try to keep pushing that. But my thought is if I've opened a good size wound channel where the fat, the hair, the hide, whatever is not going to seal that up, you're so much better off to just let that deer bed down somewhere. It'll usually, oftentimes I have found it's going to bed down initially within 100 yards that's where I found most of the beds of deer that I have jumped. And then from there, who knows where it's going to run to. Once it's really spooked and it knows something is definitely after it, who even knows? And maybe you hunt in a place where you've got thousands of acres and that's no big deal, but I don't hunt those kind of places. I've got 65 acres on the farm that I primarily hunt. Yeah, and the problem is, is that uh, typically... Once they've bedded down and you jump them and they're going to leave that bed full speed, the blood trail is going to be next to nothing usually. And and that's the problem and why your chances go exponentially down of finding that animal once it's been jumped. It's the lack of, of a blood trail. And, um, you you know, back to, I said, like you mentioned, worry over coyotes. I, I don't discount that that's a, a worry, but my theory now is I'd rather find half of that deer um, and give half to the coyotes over the gamble of jumping it and then giving it all to the coyote. Right. They get 100% so, versus, you know, a yeah, ham yeah. or something. And, you know, there's going to be different factors that go into that wait time on, on a liver shot. One of which I, I fully believe has to do with the size and maturity uh, of the animal, meaning uh, a fawn or a year and a half old doe compared to a big mature buck. A big mature buck is just going to take more time. It's that has proven itself to me with liver hits multiple, multiple times where it's just the physical size and ability of that bigger bodied deer to be able to withstand that injury for longer as compared to a more frail, younger, um, physically smaller deer. Yeah. 
So basically it comes down to if you think you got a liver shot, if it's in the morning, maybe you can get back out later that afternoon or evening and get it. But if it's you're hunting evening hunts and a lot of the success that I have on the properties that I have access to hunt, they are typically better in the evening. You get a liver shot in the evening, you might as well head back, get a really um, unrestful night of sleep and just plan on getting back out in the morning to try to track that deer because you just, nothing, very little could good. The, the risk reward is just not there to track that kind of animal at night in the dark where all you can see is what's in your spotlight or headlamp beam or flashlight, whatever you've got, just, just out. It's hard. But again, a dead deer is going to be dead in the morning, just like it was dead at midnight. So give it that time and make sure that you can, I shouldn't say make sure there are still possibilities that you may not recover that deer, but you're, you're, Odds of success are much higher if you give it that time, you back out, you don't disrupt it, don't knock it off its normal pattern. Um, anybody that's surprised, I don't care you know, if anybody's ever been in high school and went to a party that the cops showed up to, people scatter everywhere. They don't just follow the trail or whatever. It's a lot easier to um, have an unpressured deer and follow some of the local trails in your area and find that deer somewhere just off the trail than have it just running crazy, wild, scared through the woods and who knows where it's going to end up. Yeah, and there's the nature of a, a liver hit deer and a gut shot deer is to go a sh the shortest distance possible to feel safe and find a place where it can lay down um, in its head, lay down to recover. Of course, we know that's not what's going to happen. And just letting that deer be and let it go the shortest distance is the key to success. And let's briefly, and I do want to keep this, this point brief, but it is worth mentioning. I also said, I don't care how hot it is. And we've talked about this in other podcasts specifically about warm temperatures and meat and different hits, but a deer doesn't start to, to spoil while it's alive. And so if you have a scenario where you've given a deer, let's just use that eight hour hypothetical, you've given it eight hours to die and it only took five hours. Well, that means that the deer has been only laying there for three hours. So you're only hours into whatever risk of spoilage it may be and maybe it's cold enough that that's near zero but even on a warm night it's three hours not eight hours so a lot of people will absolutely say well i can't just let it spoil i gotta go get it, it doesn't matter gut shot liver shot i'm not waiting that is flawed thinking it's incorrect and it's the wrong answer i don't care who you are, I'll argue to them blue in the face. I'm telling you, you're wrong. The right decision is to give the animal the right amount of time based on the hit. Right. Now, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to wait for good camera light to go track a deer that I feel like is down. It's right here. That's where I think it gets a little bit shitty that some people have um, been known to do that in the past. Be like, well, we'll go get it in the morning where we have better light and it's warm and there's a chance of spoilage. And I think it's also important, we say it a lot, but we are talking specifically our experiences that are primarily in the Midwest in October, November, 
you get into December, usually the chance of spoilage around here is slim to none. It's going to be plenty cold enough, even late November. Uh, so you might, your mileage may vary. If you're hunting out West, if you're hunting in the South, you're hunting where there's warmer temperatures that might play a little bit of a role in, well, this deer might be dead in two hours or it might be dead in eight hours. But I think it goes back to what you said too, of the percentage of what you can recover. If you're giving it time because you want to be able to recover the deer, not because you want to get better camera light for showing your recovery or being able to take better pictures of it. Uh, those are two totally different things when it comes to the spoilage aspect and whether you should let it lay overnight or go get it right away. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and the very fact of the matter is there's been many times in early season where I've hit a deer a little further back than I wanted to. So that meant I needed to wait, but that doesn't necessarily mean I waited till the next morning. It means I got back out of bed at midnight, went and got the deer. You know, I mean, it's just, it's the middle of the night, but the time has went by sufficient amount of time, but why there's no reason to let the deer lay there, you know, from midnight to daylight, another five or six hours um, when it's just too warm for it to be laying out there. So um, just because I say wait the right amount of time doesn't mean I'm saying wait way more time than is necessary either. Sure. So as we continue to move back on the deer, the guts, and the guts is a whole big area. Um, I would say more than half of the deer. I think a lot of people don't realize that the diaphragm is not as far back in the rib cage as what it actually is. And you right. can learn this from successful recoveries of deer. Pay attention when you're cutting that thing open, when you're field dressing it. Where is the diaphragm? Find it where you can see it from the inside. Look at where that is at on the outside of the deer. Uh, but there's a lot of opportunities. And again, things happen, wind gusts, uh, any number of things, bad anchor, excitement. You get into the guts. In my experience, that is a deer that you find by luck, not by skill. Um, you might find it with... Blood tracking dogs have become very popular in recent years. And I think the more we can get people to use those things to recover their deer, maybe not. I don't know. I, I'm sure there are some people out there that might use it as an excuse to take any shot. Just get blood and the dogs will find it at some point in time mm, in the yeah. next 24 hours. But to me, when I have helped people track Gut shot deer. Again, I've been very lucky to not have any myself. The one that I did have, I some I was rifle hunting, somehow clipped its lower belly. And without getting into all the graphic gory details, after I've talked about how deer walk like baby with poop in their pants or blood looks like the foam on top of your pee. Uh, but it it drug pretty much all of its insides out and was down in a creek bank and didn't get into any of the guts, didn't cut anything open in there. So I was extremely fortunate. But to me, that's a deer that you're going to find tiny drops of blood here and there. It's going to peter out really quickly. Like I feel like I'm very good at blood tracking a deer. I can stay on it. I, I can read even the leaf litter sign to say it looks like a deer was running through here or something was, and this is kind of in line with the blood. Let's follow this. 
Um, but to me, with that gut shot, you're going to find pin drops of blood here and there, and then you're going to start doing uh, just that bullseye circle or some sort of grid-type search where you are just expanding your radius and you're covering all the ground, and you're looking at every downed log and everything you can, but more often than not, that is a deer that you are not going to recover. It doesn't matter if you gave it 16 hours, if you gave it 16 minutes, that's that's one of those bummers that the deer probably will die at some point. It's hard to recover. There's sepsis and all this other stuff that can happen from it. Uh, but that's one that you've probably donated to the local scavengers. Well, this is where we do disagree. Um, Tell me more. A gut shot deer, in my opinion, is one that if you take the right steps from the beginning, you should absolutely be able to find it every single time. And this is why I say that because a gut shot deer will not go very far at all before it lays down. If you can take the right steps of not disturbing that deer from its bed, whatever you have to do. And, and I haven't been as lucky as you. I've got a handful of deer that I've gut shot, but I have found every one of them. And I've also helped a few other people. I have sat in the stand literally for three hours after dark to make sure that I could, because the one of the deer I got shot laid down in sight and it was right before dark. So I literally stayed in the stand that long so that I could climb down as quiet as possible and go out the back way to not disturb the deer. I've left all my stuff in the tree in that case. Came back the next morning, the deer laying right where I left it. It was dead. It was fine. It wasn't spoiled. Everything worked out great. Now, I've had other very tough trails um, with gut shots because just like liver shots, I was hard-headed, and I had jumped uh, one buck in particular. I can remember I didn't wait near long enough. I knew I should have. I was pretty young at the time and not very experienced, even though I'd read all the articles that said, wait, I didn't wait, jumped the deer, ended up, actually the neighbor found it for me the next day. Um, it was cold, so it was all fine, but that was a hard lesson learned. But ever, that lesson right there, because it was a nice book, I'm looking at the Euro Mountain on the wall right now. Um, from that point on, I vowed I would never go after a gut shot deer. Um, same as what I say with liver shot, eight hours or more, 12 is even better. And in every case that I've been able to do that, it's worked out um, very nicely. Um, I've had a, a, a mixture of some that had blood trails and some that had no blood, just like you talked about. I think that's just luck of the draw and what you do or don't nick on the way through. And, um, really the key to successfully finding a gut shot deer is leave it alone for many, many hours. So what are some of the signs for somebody who, again, maybe in their excitement and I, I guess I know this somewhat firsthand as I think back to my experiences starting to hunt, but I can really think like my son, Jack, and when we go hunting his excitement I'm used to, before I will shoot at a deer, I have looked at every piece of 
you know, landscape around it. I know which two trees it was standing between. I know that the tree on the right had a little split coming off of it so that later on, after I've watched it run off, I can go back and look and be like, okay, that's where it was. For the people that in the excitement of the moment didn't know maybe exactly where the deer was, but even more than that, didn't really watch where the shot went to see that, wow, that was way far back for what I was hoping. What's some of the sign that they might see on the ground when they go to that point of impact or they finally find that spot and they're looking around that would tell them, this is a gut shot, whether it's on their arrow, on the ground, whatever the case may be. Yeah, well, similar to liver shots, I think the very first indicator is going to be the way the deer reacts, and it's going to be really similar to a liver shot, except it's almost always, if not 100% of the time, it's going to almost immediately hunch up and give that kind of tippy-toe walk slowly away, and it's going to be hunched up every single time. And then, and even before that, there's a very distinct sound that an arrow makes when it hits the gut. And if you've never, if you've been like you said, lucky and never gut shot one yet, maybe you've never heard it, but it, I always describe it as it sounds like an arrow hitting a pumpkin. It's just got, or a watermelon. It's just got this loud kind of hollow thud pop to it. And it's, it's not a sound that, you're going to hear if you hit a deer anywhere else. It's very distinctive. And then, like you mentioned, that uh, the next clue is going to be the arrow itself. And there's not a lot there in the guts to stop an arrow. Near, you know, in today's with today's setups, I can't imagine not getting a pass through on a gut shot. Of course, it's it's possible. I'm not saying never, but it would be tough. Uh, yeah, and a gut shot is always going to be evident if you have the arrow as evidence because it's going to be either covered in, in slime or gritty material or poop, literally shit. It's going to stink. Um, it's going to be really rare for you to pick up just a blood-soaked arrow and it'd be a gut shot. That's just not going to be the result. There could be quite a bit of blood on it, but there's always going to be those other signs that I just described that's going to indicate a gut shot. Yeah, that it again, it's like a yellowish, greenish type of, and the stink isn't just like a poop stink. It's just an, an off smell. Um, it The blood could even be kind of brownish looking on there. I have noticed in the ones that I've been around, uh, it's pretty easy. Again, if you think, man, this smells funky, there aren't any other places that I have hit a deer where I smelled an arrow and be like, oh, this smells funky. This lung blood or this heart blood yeah. or this liver even smells funky. Like you can just, you can tell that it's one of those things like, I'm not looking forward to field dressing this deer. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And, because I will say I have it is, got into the guts with a knife <laughs> more than once or twice uh, in field dressing one. So I mean, I doubt I know the smell, even if I haven't made that shot that has caused that smell. Instant dry heaves for me every single time. 
That's why I, I've gotten to the point where I'm very good at being extremely careful as I am opening up that belly. Yeah. I, what I was going to say is, you know, as soon as you have any indication, whether you're still in the stand or you've climbed down, you're not real sure. And you pick that arrow up and, and this has happened to me. I've picked the arrow up and I'd be like, what is going on? Like, how could this be covered in guts? What, what happened here? The only answer is the arrow went through the guts and that's no good. So the very best thing you can do right then is stick your arrow in the ground and walk the opposite way and get out of there and reevaluate, come up with a plan and make sure that that plan has the right amount of hours. That's the only answer for a gut shot. It has to be time. It takes time. And it is, there is a possibility that uh, a gut shot deer could die way faster than that, but that's not probable. And so you're playing the odds, trying not to gamble, trying to do what's safe. And that's going to be the best route to successfully find in a gut shot deer. And it really can be done. I really do fully believe uh, if, if I go hunting this week and I shoot whatever, a doe or a giant buck, and I know it's a gut shot, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed in myself for the shot, but I'm also going to immediately be confident that I can find the deer. I, I really do believe that. Yeah, I think like most things, it's knowing what to do after. And we've been talking about, you know, the broadside shots. There are certainly situations where you might get guts and lung, I mean, a, a hard quartering away if, again, the deer somehow you decide to take a shot that's quartering to or it turns quartering to where that deer, uh, that deer, that arrow can travel and on a quartering away, you might have to put that your, hold your pin behind the last rib and enter back behind the diaphragm, maybe up near the guts to get it to slide in up near those lungs or go through the lungs. So there are some things, again, we're not saying that this is every situation. We're talking about that broadside shot and what you may see about the only thing that I think that I've run into with deer that I probably should have given time and didn't recognize at the time. I thought I recognized it as an amazing sign, but it wasn't. Um, and that's going to happen probably less with archery equipment than it is with a firearm, but chunks of bone to me, chunks of bone along with that bright blood or anything that we've talked about. That is usually a sign that you got some sort of front or rear shoulder, depending on how far off you might have been. Um, that's another one of those situations where I would say you don't need to hop down out of the stand and run after that deer to put some sort of follow-up shot on it. You're not going to get caught up to it fast enough that you're going to be able to get that next shot into it. Um, so again, I think just talking through sign, that's the only thing that popped into my head. It's like, well... Here's something I've seen that was, I thought, wow, I blew this deer up. I'm finding chunks of bone. I'm finding blood everywhere. That was the other deer that I didn't recover. Um, the primary sign was lots of red blood, lots of chunks of bone, meaning from what I saw, I probably hit somewhere in not even the lower uh, or not even the upper part, but usually the lower part of the front shoulder, or you could see that in a back leg. If you hit it in the upper part, you're going to punch through 
Um, more often than not, you're going to punch through that blade that's in there. But if you're getting chunks of bone, that usually indicates a low shoulder or a low leg shot. Yeah, I have to agree with that for sure. Man, Robin, we have covered a lot over the last hour. Is there anything that we haven't discussed yet? Well, I did want to back up just briefly. And you brought up the point that the diaphragm is a lot further forward than what a lot of people realize. And I absolutely do agree with that. And the reason I wanted to mention that again is because let's just go backwards just a little bit to the liver hit. Just in general, I think the liver is a much more forward than what a lot of hunters give it credit for. And so I do think that a lot of hunters think that they center punched an animal right through the lungs. When in fact, if it's at mid body, there's a good chance that that's really the liver. And so, um, there's not a lot of space between the lungs and the guts. Of course, that's where the liver is, but just keep that in mind that if you think you're back at all, really pay attention to everything that we talked about and make your decisions um, based on what you see and not what you hope. Yeah, I would say, and it's hard to tell. I've even, I've, as you were talking about that, I was trying to think of a distance, maybe even six inches back from the back of the front leg. I feel like you're probably really playing with that diaphragm liver shot. Yeah, especially, just, especially on the, the low part of the body. Yes. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I aim again a little bit higher because those lungs tend to go up and back. They don't just go straight back. So I, I feel like I have a little bit more uh, room for error or mistakes if I'm a little bit higher up on the body. But again, the diaphragm runs pretty much straight up and down. But if you're looking for those vitals, that's where I would go. So make sure that you understand where vitals are. There's all sorts of resources online. And then and track everything. Know what blood looks like in different hits by you know tracking that blood to your deer and then finding the deer. Know what the leaf litter looks like. I, more often than not, more than blood, I'm looking for leaves that are turned over. If it's been dry, I'm looking for the leaves that look wet because that's the bottom side where it was against the damp ground or the cold ground. So there's lots of different things that you can do. If you are unsure, back out. And if you have anybody that you could call or come help you, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. If there's somebody that you could think of that might have more experience, I would much rather get a call from anybody on my friends list saying, Hey, could you come help me track this thing? than to hear that they went out, weren't quite sure what they were doing and ended up losing a deer. Yeah. I, I have been known to jump in the truck at all hours of the night and drive even a couple hours to help buddies. And that's just the way it is. It's just, uh, so much easier to ask someone to come help you, especially if you're not experienced. So I say we close this out by touching on the myth of all myths related to arrow hits and specifically on a deer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, um, I mean, there's a lot of them that are going the mystical, magical. Don't tell me about the void, the void, no man's land. That is it. 
the it void is the biggest, is void of reality. The biggest crock of shit that deer hunting knows. It is non-existent. There's no such thing as a void between a deer's lung and its spine. Can't happen. Doesn't happen. Doesn't exist. But Robin, did you your know anatomy. that my broadhead pushed, actually pushed the lung out of the way as the oh arrow was going gosh. What does exist, though? Let's get serious for just a second because some people do think it there is a void, and I guess technically there is a void. It's just not between the spine and the lung. It's actually a, a pretty big space that's above a deer's spine because a deer's spine has a sizable dip just behind its shoulder. And um, that spine is much lower than many hunters realize. And the result of an arrow hitting there is a deer that um, seems to be hit behind the shoulder, takes off running like it was hit behind the shoulder, um, starts with a decent blood trail, although it's not pink lung blood, but it is confused by people. It's arterial blood from the back strap. And that blood peters out usually in about 80 yards. And those deer end up with a scar on their back. They're still around to live another day. I've seen it over and over and over. We've even killed a couple deer that we've hit up there and then killed them later in the season. Um, for those that just insist that that's not the case, there's so much good um, information on the web these days with you know, deer carcasses cut in half and shown in cross section. Uh, I'm just not sure why people can't absorb the info that's out there to be given. It's hard for me to believe that that uh, malarkey still exists and people still argue about it. I'm sure you could go on Facebook and find a no man's land argument tomorrow if you like, or even tonight. It's, it's ridiculous. Doesn't need to exist. Let's get past that. I'm telling you, you're wrong if you believe that. Yeah, I have. I couldn't tell you how many pointless arguments I have gotten into about the void, even with friends. And it's surprising. Most people think, well, if I hit them that high, I've spined them. You've actually shot above the spine, and it's right, pretty right. easy to get a lot of broadheads to go through the vertebrae the way they're uh, spaced up there. Not I guess not so many people. It's been something that's been normal to me my whole life processing our own deer. So I'm used to getting in there with a knife and trimming out the back straps and being able to see that raised area that's above the spine that is not going to immobilize and immediately disable a deer, even if it does get a little bit clipped. I mean, how many people are walking around with jacked up vertebrae, but it doesn't mean that it broke their back when, you know, whatever happened. So it is easy. I wish I could. I probably couldn't find permission to post it on our hotshot page. I've got some pictures of deer that are split in half. Um, and I've also got a deer that is just a deer skeleton from a museum somewhere. And everybody, yeah. every time somebody tells me about the void, that is the picture that I send them in return. Oh, I get it. This is the deer that has the void that has no vital organs in it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad we got time to fit that in because that is a pet peeve of mine. It's just mind boggling how people still believe that and can't comprehend 
I will say in some people's defense, they'll throw out, there's a couple diagrams that come to mind. I'm sure you've seen them. They're deer vitals diagram by different organizations, but they're more cartoon than uh, realistic. And they always show the spine as being flat and straight, which is unfortunate because those are, are actually put out by organizations that are trying to, you know, be teachers of archery and bow hunting and they're, and they're just horrible. And unfortunately that's where some people get their info from. Our own spines aren't straight. <laughs> they all have right. bends and curves in them. It's crazy. Um, I think that I don't even have a parting shot on that. Now that we have covered the void and the lack of the void and Sometimes we just have hits that are too high and they're not great. You didn't run across the mythical deer who had this one area where it just couldn't be killed. Um, you're right. It can't be killed there because there's nothing vital in that area. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's not a unicorn deer. So I, that would have been my parting shot probably. Anyway, had I had time to think about one is to just call out that, the void doesn't exist. Um, I don't know how anybody could send me a picture of anything that might change my mind unless all the internal organs are in a deer with an arrow running through it from where it was actually shot and everything is still functioning perfectly somehow. Um, but even then I'd be like, okay, that what's not a living deer that that could have been positioned in any manner. So, um, any final, uh, or parting shots from you? Yeah, I'll go a totally different direction with my parting shot, and we'll get back to uh, you talked about pictures of a 10-pointer you hadn't seen in quite a while, and I'll just throw out there that um, over the last three, I'm going to say three days now, we've gotten many pictures of new bucks on on many properties that we're running cameras on, and I'm talking about in Missouri and Illinois both. It's that time of year um, that if you've been disappointed in in what bucks that you know are around, it's time to start thinking about new bucks showing up. It's going to happen more than likely for you. And um, for me personally, I'm starting to get pretty excited because uh, some of the bucks that have shown up are pretty fantastic. So, yes, that's my parting shot. It is that time of year. Yes. Awesome. I love it. Well, if anybody listening has questions, if you had a shot that you're not quite sure about, you can absolutely message the page. I can promise you that Robin and I keep a pretty close eye on both Facebook and Instagram. So you can message us if you have thoughts. Um, as long as it's not the void, we'll probably entertain at least some sort of dialogue going back and forth. But you get a, a shot, you have a question about a shot that you made or a friend made, send us a message, let us know. If you've got questions or again, ideas for show topics, you can always email us. We've got the open email at podcast at hotshotmanufacturing.com. I mentioned messaging us on social media. If you haven't started following us yet, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Hotshot Archery. And then you can also check out our entire line of releases of peep sites and other accessories at www.hotshotmfg.com. If we don't hear from you, have a great deer season 
And we'll talk again here in a week or so with updates on what we've got going on here in Missouri and Illinois as we really start to get into the heart of the whitetail rut.